0: Welcome, everybody, from around the world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Commentaries from the Edge. This is Karen Goldberg, and here's what's coming up. I am so pleased and joyful about inviting Barbara Crane to the beginning of the second season of this program. And it's a great privilege that she has given us uh, an idea of talking about her most recent novel called When Water Was Everywhere. Barbara Crane, for everyone to know, is an award-winning novelist, a journalist, and an instructor. Her very debut novel, The Oldest Things in the World, won an award from Forward Magazine. This novel, When Water Was Everywhere, won the Beverly Hills Book Award in the historical fiction category and was awarded the grand prize in an Outrider Press anthology. Crane has over 25 years of experience as a freelance journalist, a business writer, and corporate training and development consultant. Her short stories and personal essays have appeared in the LA Times, Los Angeles Times, The Sun Magazine, and numerous other publications. For many years, as a 40-year resident of Long Beach, California, she wrote for the Business Journal, and in over these years, developed this passion for writing fiction, and it's our great joy and privilege that we have your novel with us today, Barbara. Thank you so much. I'm just going to introduce a little bit of a sort of a line from that you wrote yourself to give everyone our listeners a little taste of what's coming up. So this is a quote from Barbara Crane. Once upon a time in Los Angeles, water was everywhere, in rivers that rendered the vast plain a marsh, in underground streams that provided an abundance of water for people, cattle, and crops. So Barbara, how how did you come to have the feeling you have for this subject and the I know the years that you did research
1: to be able to write a a novel such as this one well first thank you Karen so much for inviting me It's, it's wonderful to be here and I do love talking about this subject because so many people view Los Angeles as a desert and uh you asked uh How did I uh, come to be interested in in this? I think uh, it was one of the things that that interested me was that in my years of consulting and uh, journalism, my my uh, heavy work years, uh, I would put sometimes uh, twenty thousand miles uh, uh, on my car a year. That was before um, before emails, even. Um, and you met face-to-face with people, so that was a lot, uh, you know, the lot, a, lot a, lot a lot of travel. Required a lot of commuting. Right. And I'd cross the Los Angeles River many times, and I'd see this drainage ditch, and it was so unlike any river I knew of, because I'm used to hiking in the mountains, and this was not a river to me. I didn't understand it and I always wanted to know more. Then I'd go to the ocean and i developed develop fantasies about, uh, well, uh, a woman who lived by the ocean, a, an indigenous woman who lived near the ocean and what she might be doing. And I'd look at the mountains and you can see all that, you're so much in nature, you're so close to nature when you live in Southern California, and yet you're so far away in modern day uh, Southern California because you're crossing, you're on freeways, you're on over ramps, um, you're in concrete all the time. So the juxtaposition of of the built environment with the natural environment, if you're curious, is a, is a very interesting uh, thing to watch and look at.
0: Well, and I think that's really amazing that, you know, you had that kind of curiosity because it is exactly what you're saying. I think uh, for many of us in Southern California and specifically in the whole Long Beach, Los Angeles area, we do have so much natural beauty around us and it's, often not to have the imagination of what it must have been like before we were here in, in the concrete world that we live in.
1: You know, that's ex- that's, those are the exact um, words that I've, I've couched this in uh, as I've spoken to many groups about the book. And that is, I've imagined what it was like before this world, this concrete world, and uh, this world of concrete and rebar that makes the freeways, uh, was here. And the beauty of the book and doing all this research, and this is kind of the punchline, which I'm revealing at the at the beginning. But the beauty of it was that I kind of have a double vision when I look at. Out at anything that I see in Southern California, which is every single day, I see what was here before. Um, and it's a, it makes kind of a wonderland for me.
0: So that, well, <laughs> how lucky you are, how, how very lucky you are. I think also because, you know, for many people, I mean, people do take advantage of, of the beauty we have around us. You know, people go to the ocean if they're lucky they they hike in the in the mountain the Santa Monica mountain ranges that we have here um, you know there's there is beautiful places to walk so it's not that people i think aren't, aren't really seeing it but i think you there was something within you there was almost i think in a sense you've had a calling to step into this world and recall and sort of re, reimagine it for the rest of us through your book. Uh,
1: I I hope so. Or it it felt like that. But any project I get involved in, I I kind of sink my teeth into it and I don't let go like a dog with a bone until it's over. So how, however many years it takes and whatever it takes, I'm going to finish it. And that that that's how kind of the bottom line. Um, so, so you started
0: this, you know, and you started this, at, it's interesting because at this moment when we're talking, of course, we are officially in a drought. There is a lot of fear about what is going to be happening with water. So when you, when you did start this research and, and you had this, I know, as I said, I think it's a calling, what, what things did you discover that really surprised you? Because it's one thing to imagine, it's another to actually find out as you did.
1: Yes, um, that's a, a really good question. And what I found, what I I began to investigate layer after layer um, using uh, the ranchos. We have two ranchos in Southern California, in the, the Long Beach area, Rancho Los Cerritos, Rancho Los Alamitos. Uh, I spoke to people there. I interviewed um, indigenous people. Uh, people um, i i went to libraries huntington library and did research and of course i researched in actual physical libraries and the los angeles main library was extremely helpful uh, a, a gentleman there was very helpful finding me maps of los angeles in its earlier years and what i found out was that we are, uh, we're, let me see if I can put this, um, we, we're we in a uh, basin.
0: You know, many people that are listening to this that are far from Los Angeles, California, really have no idea of picturing that, they think of Los Angeles as simply the global, you know, destination city that it is and not realize one of the the things that you're talking about is that it was this basin with with a river that was 51 miles long. I think you mentioned to me some time ago. Yes, yes. and and that it was full of Native Americans, uh, tribal people, and especially the Tongva tribe, which you have said you know already has has descendants that are still here. And much of this, you know, not only did that cement cover the river for for the reasons, for good reasons, I guess, in the 1930s, because they were afraid of flooding. But there's so much that's been covered over about the history of of California and the fascinating combinations of our history, geographically,
1: as well as historically, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, we, as you said, we are In Southern California, we are in a watershed that's formed by the Los Angeles, uh, by the Los Angeles River and the San Gabriel River, and it's a double watershed, actually, and it covers 1,500 square miles. So while the river was active, and that was until about the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, actually, um, we had water, ground, ample groundwater uh, for population. We had uh, lakes and rivers that we don't see anymore. And in fact, the, uh, something about Long Beach that really struck me, uh, I, as you said, I've lived here for over 40 years. Well, in the 1930s, the population of Long Beach was 130,000 people and all of them received water from a central aquifer in the city. There, w- it was, there was that much groundwater that it could nourish 130,000 people. Now, that's, when you realize that, then you know that all over the Los Angeles basin, there was ample groundwater for, for the population. And then as you say, the river was because it was a threat uh, to the burgeoning population along its shores and to the um, to the land uh, owners uh, along its shores. The river was concreted, was was made concrete and fixed in time, and that deprived the area of a, a great deal of water. And we're seeing the results of that. Uh, we've seen the results of that over time. And right. especially now. It really changed the story of Los Angeles. And, it did. and, and
0: so speaking about story, um, maybe we'll get right into the story that you decided to tell, given that you wanted to really fictionalize this. And at the same time, Really, tell the the true story of our our background, our history, and our connections to the Mexican rule here in California. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about these characters that you invented and what role they play in this in the story that you decided to write.
1: Yes, yes, um, I'm going to take the issue with one word that you used, invented. Uh-huh. Yeah, the word is invented. Um, I, I think that I, like a lot of other uh, writers, uh, fiction writers, we don't really so much invent characters as they come out of our imagination as whole beings. And then we discover who they are and their characters and how they figure in with other characters as we go along. So the first person who came to me, and that was in 1981, as a, and it was a big surprise, was the, uh, a young uh, man in his early 20s who had come west uh, from St. Louis and come overland and, and uh, found himself in the Pueblo of Los Angeles. He was very poor. He was escaping a life of poverty and abuse and his name was Henry Scott. And he came to my consciousness in 1981. And I didn't start to write the book until 20 years later because <laughs> I was doing other things. I was working on another novel and I was working really hard and raising a, a son of myself. And so, you know, I, di- I didn't have time for him, but he kept bugging me in a way. You know, he'd come in and I'd say, Who are you? Um, So he turned out to be the foreman of Rancho Los Cerritos, which is one of the ranchos, as I said, in Long Beach. Um, And then another character that that, uh, came into being was uh, a woman, young woman named Big Headed Girl. And she starts out as a very young woman. She's a Tongva Indian, and she lives uh, about uh, well, she lives not very far from me in my neighborhood, uh, as I saw it. And um, so I follow her story as she goes f- from being a very young woman to being a, uh, a young wife and then uh, a single mother herself. Um, another person that I follow in the story is uh, John Tillman. And I—he's the only person that I fashioned a story from from history, because um, his—well, I have called him uh, actually—it was John Temple, in in real life, Los Angeles, and he was an early settler. He was a very very wealthy man, <clears throat> and. Uh, John Temple owned many things, and one of the things that he came to own was Rancho Los Cerritos. Um,
0: and in and then, the- of course, there's a famous street in Los Angeles named Temple.
1: Temple, right? And also in Lo- in Long Beach named Temple because okay. yes. that's because the Rancho is in Los An is in uh, Long Beach. Um, so, and then the fourth character uh, is a man who is a uh, the padre at the mission San Gabriel and his name is Padre Jose and his story is a very difficult one he comes from Spain but he winds up uh, being the head of the mission San Gabriel a very tortured soul who doesn't believe in God and uh, an unpleasant man to say the least. Uh, but with with these stories uh, intertwining and and developing on their own, and then and then intertwining again, it it just made for something that I wanted to keep working on and find out what happened to each of them.
0: So maybe you can give us um, a setting of a time frame here, kind of where you have these characters what is happening historically in this area that that they are all inhabiting together at yes. the moment at the moment that you start the story
1: yes for sure well uh many people aren't aware that california was there were there were four californias uh before the california that we know or maybe three you can count as i go There was the California that was indigenous people who lived here for at least 10,000 years. And those were people of many different groups, but the one in the Los Angeles area was the Tongva, as you said, and it's T-O-N-G-V-A. And they had a rich culture they lived from the land. Uh, they had a spiritual, very rich spiritual life, uh, and uh, so they. That was the first California. The next California was the Spanish California when the Spaniards came and conquered the, uh, of course, all the America, the Americas, and th- up through. Uh, Cal, uh through California and we we were called where we are is called the well the the state of California was was Alta California of course there was no state of California but there there was the Alta areas, there was an the Alta area.
0: California and there um, and there is a Baja California Baja, yes Baja um, California so it was right. north Alta means north and south and that's was a, a very important imprint in the area that you and I live in, in Southern California, because we feel
1: the Spanish heritage to this day. Absolutely. we. Any, I think any Southern Californian who goes into Mexico immediately feels at home, Mexico or Latin America. My first experience, well, was in Mexico, but then early on in Peru. And I felt it was my home because i had lived in southern california all my life so that's what i that's a culture that i have been nurtured by yes the spanish mexican uh spanish and mexican culture uh of course we have many indigenous words and and Themes in in our land uh, of Southern California also, so that's very important to us. Um, the next The next California was Mexican California after the the uh, Mexican Revolution in 1821. Mexico uh, Alta California became part of Mexico, uh, and then, of course, so my novel takes place in the waning days of the Mexican rule, which is an added pressure in the novel in a, in a, so to speak, oh, yes. 18, 1842, 1843. And the book ends in the early part of 1844. And then the, uh, the United States came in, in 18, uh, 1846, and by 1850, the United States was uh, the, California was a state. So that,
0: that's such an incredible moment. And really, that's what I meant by the fascinating history here in California. And you know, that moment of the, the change from Mexico to United States, which was full of so much drama, so much corruption, and of course, violence, is rarely told, you know, in terms of, I mean, as you and I growing up here in California, we we really were never told very much about that moment. I don't think, I think that's done on purpose. There's much of it that we wouldn't be proud of. And, you know, I'm thinking with your novel and why it's such an important book is not only because it's a beautifully told story, but because you're really allowing people to visit that particular moment through, through these characters that, that, as you said, came to you. Um, and I think it reminds me of what's going on right now with the fact that we just celebrated Juneteenth. And for so long, that's another piece of history that was really not considered that important, that moment when the last slaves heard that there was an emancipation. So I think, I think we're at a time, in, and maybe technology helps with that, to really recapture some of these important moments so that people appreciate more where we are and where we've come from.
1: I, I think so also. Uh, and uh, with the uh, appointment of um, a Native uh, American to be the Secretary of Interior, I, I think that's just a tremendous, this is a tremendous moment. Uh, indigenous people all over the, uh, our, our continent have been robbed of their birthright, their land, that land. Um, and there's an opportunity to begin to make amends, uh, perhaps, to indigenous people Mm -hmm. and also to to the enslaved peoples to the Mm -hmm. black people of of the the americas yes yes i i hope i hope we do take advantage we must we must not only do i hope but we must take advantage of this opportunity yeah absolutely and i think i do
0: think that there is um a push now, a movement, maybe even using that word, um, to begin to, you know, recalibrate our understanding of our history for many different peoples. And we hope that the the Indigenous people and what happened to the Indigenous people also has often been buried, uh, maybe in shame, and also not wanting to admit things that were done. So, I think you're bringing a, a novel to life such as when water was everywhere is part of it and I think also really understanding about you know our relationship to water in in this particular area and how as you have said the drought is not necessarily inevitable
1: and um, may I may I just add one thing please we're we're, we're going to have to- We as a society, and especially in Southern California, we're going to have to deal with the fact that our water supplies are very, very limited. We have uh, uh, committed, I'm gonna say, I've never said this in a group, but I will say this on this podcast, an environmental disaster by uh, the kinds of water policies that we've had. And we can't, they're not sustainable. They're not sustainable to, uh, we've got, a, a, I think something like 11 million people in the Los Angeles area. We, that's not just the city of Los Angeles, but uh, the area itself. Uh, so we can't feed uh, people on that, on the water that we have. We have to find some ways to conserve, to reuse, to harness the river again um to bring life back and I think I I I really thought as I was writing this story that if you accept that Los Angeles is a desert which as I said at the beginning is what so many people think then you just accept it as inevitable well a desert you don't have any water what are you going to do but if you see Los Angeles as a, as a Mediterranean environment, albeit a semi-arid Mediterranean environment, that has wet seasons and dry seasons, sometimes you do have periods of drought, but you also have periods of rain. And so they balance each other, or they did for thousands, probably millions of years. Uh, if, you ex- if you accept that reality, then you have to... F- be more open to seeing that there are solutions to to our water problem our water issues
0: absolutely
1: and like you know many of our
0: problems it's going to it's going to take uh, the kind of leadership that cares and that wants to harness all the knowledge that we have and the technological abilities that we have to solve these problems and maybe you know, your novel is also contributes to at least pushing people to be more aware of how wonderful it is to have water and that we were such a rich place with water. Is there anything else you would like to say about, I mean, I I know we don't wanna give away the story itself and I'm gonna let everyone know how they can be able to purchase your book, When Water Was Everywhere. But perhaps is there anything else you want to add about the story itself, uh,
1: without giving excuse, it away? <laughs> um, well, I, I, you'll be the the ending will will be satisfying, I think, to most people, but not to everyone. So, but there is, but that's uh, intriguing. I tried, I tried very hard. Um, one of the things about novels, sometimes I think the writer loses steam towards the end, and I don't think this novel loses steam it towards the end. I think it, uh, I think it satisfies its promise. So well maybe that's maybe what I'll leave it with. <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe with you it was the opposite. You know, you waited a long time. Mm-hmm.
0: There was a lot of, of, of mental energy cooking inside of you, and maybe quite the opposite. maybe you were so full of steam. That you had a lot of steam to get out as you were writing this novel, but probably. Too. Maybe, maybe, maybe you became more passionate uh, as you went as you went to write it. And you know, I think it was really interesting how you you mentioned about the the process for how a novelist, you know, has characters visit them in full, sort of full being. Because I think a lot of people who are not novelists um, often wonder, you know, how how does I use the word invention but as you're saying that it's more as if they're you're visited by certain people that that come to you that you have to write about so I I know that some of our listeners will definitely be interested in looking forward to finding out more about these characters and about the story and I just want to let everybody know that the book is available at Amazon of course and can be ordered at any bookstore it can also be found on kindle or most ebook platforms and there is a website for the book which is whenwaterwaseverywhereoneword.com and barbara thank you so much again i think this is such an important subject i hope that much of your research continue you continue to to write more novels maybe these characters still have life ahead for another novel and Thank you so much for taking the time to be on Commentaries for the Edge.
1: Thank you so much, Karen, for hosting. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.